Marcella was a street kid in Columbia. And it was Steve and Lisa Mickler, missionaries who were part of this church from decades ago, going and serving over there that formally adopted her. And so in her wedding, it was awesome to just really take pause and focus on the fact that God had truly ended that generational curse for Marcella. Because one of the problems in, in Bogota, Colombia, is that street kids are raised without an education. They're raised on the streets. They learn to just fend for themselves, uh, and which usually in, ends up either being stealing or prostituting themselves. And then the cycle just repeats itself again. They end up getting addicted to drugs to cope with the elements and other things and the depression of just being homeless. And so the cycle just repeats itself again and again and again. And so marrying Marcella was kind of like the fulfillment of the promise uh, of her life as Steve and Lisa adopted her out of the streets of Columbia to watch her not just wed, but wed a man who's, who is called and is already serving in vocational ministry to youth, to a younger generation. It was like the fulfillment of a promise of redemption in her life. And that was just an awesome thing to get to, wit get to witness and be a part of. And she's marrying a youth pastor. I mean, how much better can it get than that? So uh, as I hope, uh, you know, part of me, uh, it's probably, let's just put it this way. It was probably a good thing that Richard interrupted me this morning. It was my turn to get the mic and after Richard preached, but he came up and interrupted me. Uh, which is probably a good thing because I was not ready to let everybody go. Um, I don't think I don't think our church really understands what God has done in our midst. Because if we did, we wouldn't have stopped. We would have been celebrating who God is. Um, and I want us to take pause and and think about that tonight, students. I don't know that you realize that what you're witnessing as youth is stuff that most people just read about in books. Um, God is literally changing a nation in your time, in your presence, and he's using you to be a part of it. Um, God didn't just call us to Cambodia. He's calling all his people to Cambodia. And, and so when Richard talks about running into missionaries, that's not just some random thing. That is God saying, we are going to, I, I want to move in Cambodia. And he came and independently, he came and he worked on our hearts as a church that we would embrace it. He's working on the church in Australia that they would come embrace it. He's working on the church in Japan that they would. Do you realize that God is starting a spiritual awakening? He's starting a revival in a nation that is unreached. Maybe to give you a little more context, it's kind of like... Uh, when the pilgrims came over here seeking religious freedom and soon thereafter God began the first great awakening and and Wesley and many of the people that were in a holiness club with him came over here and began preaching revivals and just saving the lost and began an itinerant back then on horseback going from city to city village to village preaching the gospel and and we are where we are today because people like us, did what we're doing in Cambodia. Allowed God to use them to impact the nation. That's an amazing thing. Uh, one of the other things that stood out to me about the wedding was that all of Seth, Seth is his name, uh, Marcella's husband, 
it actually is not Marcella Mickler anymore, it's Marcella Fagerland. But Seth, her husband, all of his groomsmen were pastors. What a legacy. What a legacy that all the men standing beside you in your wedding uh, have seminary degrees and are in ministry spread out all across the United States. One of them is a guy that, um, that is planning a church in, in Ohio right now. And uh, one of the particular areas that their church is really feeling called to minister to is to the, uh, the sex trafficking. Because can, uh, the city he is located in, in Ohio, is the capital, sex capital, sex trade capital of the United States. And it goes on just down the street from him all the time. And uh, he was, you know, he was telling us about the laws in Ohio. The laws in Ohio, basically, if, if a man gets caught soliciting a prostitute, then he gets like a slap on the wrist and has to go attend like an eight-hour uh, seminar hearing how he victimized this woman. And then he has to pay like a $300 fine. The women can get imprisoned for up to two years. And one of the things he was talking about is that the majority of the women in prostitution in Ohio are slaves. And they're currently trying to get the law changed, but they're, they're encountering all kinds of problems with senators and so, so on and so forth. So they feel called to start this church with that, that particular area. That's where they feel called. Amazing guy. Another guy is none, no less than a pastor of missions, just started being a pastor of missions in Denver, Colorado at a church. And, and then uh, another, another guy there is uh, currently serving as a chaplain for hospice. And, and to hear his stories and how excited he gets to just share the gospel with people right before they go, either to be with the Lord or not, you know, he, he gets to share the gospel with them. And that was just an incredible thing to see his passion and everything. Then another guy is uh, doing campus ministry at Purdue University. Incredible legacy, a guy standing beside Seth. And, and to get to sit there, and, and as, I, as we were talking and getting to know each other, because uh, we spent all weekend with each other at this camp, uh, they started asking about our church, and just to tell them kind of what God has been doing, they just kind of were in awe. And one of them asked, you know, has anybody, like, written all of this down? Has anybody recorded this whole transformation from just being a church that goes on mission trips to being a missional church? Uh, with the visions and the things that God has done through you. And I said, well, no. But, uh, and he was just intrigued in that. And so I hope, I hope that you will really grasp what God is doing in your midst, students. Because the same God that can change a nation can change our hearts as well. And he can change any circumstance in our life. It's an amazing thing. And, and this morning I was ready to just celebrate, forget donuts, uh, not only that, but going and eating donuts after service like this morning is like just same, seemed very mundane. But anyways, tonight I want to talk, uh, that being said, tonight several of you have been asking me about how you could study the word more in depth. That is evidence of God's moving in our church as well. Uh, when I got here a couple years after being here, I issued a challenge to the youth group that they would stop reading their Bible out of just legalism or tradition, out of mundane routine, uh, and stop trying to do that for God and begin to just instead pray that God would give them a desire. And I can remember uh, several people uh, thinking that I had lost my noggin. Uh, but, but our students took the challenge seriously, 
like they usually would. Uh, plus, I think for some of them, it was a cop-out uh, of getting in the Word or whatever. Uh, but they took it seriously. And one of the things that's happened and is starting to happen that's real exciting to me is as our teens have begun praying, God has begun to change students' hearts. And I'm suddenly now, particularly this year, I've started getting Facebook messages from several of you. How do I, how do I study the Word? How do I not just read it, but how do I really study it? That's exciting because that means God is changing things in our group as well. Um, there was a statistic came out this past week that 70%, 60 to 70% of Christians in the United States of America never read the word on a weekly basis. They go through a whole week without reading the word. The average, that means that more than the average uh, Christian in the United States of America seldomly, if ever, reads the word, picks up the Bible and reads it. That's a sad state. When the church uh, begins to neglect the only absolute truth we have upon which to base our life. And some of the reason is because we've just become relative in our walk with God, but some of the reason too is because church, we've, we've given you an excuse to quit reading this. We're throwing the word up on the screens in our, in our efforts as a church in the United States to become more seeker-friendly, we've watered it down. We've quit doing exegesis, which is a big word for we've quit taking the word and dissecting it and teaching you the word. Rather, we've come up with a verse, and then we'll just tell a real quick story about it and really entertain you. Um, and, and, and the byproduct of that is that we have a bunch of Christians in America who own more than one Bible like me who cannot own the Bible. I mean, they own a copy of the Bible, but they don't own its knowledge in their heart and in their mind. And we've become lax, and it's so readily accessible to us that we just ignore it day after day, while people in other parts of the world are dying for having a chapter or two of it in their possession. There are members of this church who joined the church just a couple of weeks ago whose family members parents were murdered in a country for owning the word and professing it out loud. They sit in here every Sunday. But you and I take advantage, and we just take advantage, and we're lax and lazy on the fact that it's at our, it's at our availability whenever we want it. That I will come in on a Wednesday or Sunday and hear it preached to me, and, and I'm good. Well, I'm excited to hear that your heart is changing, and many of you are wanting to get in the Word. So I want to I just give you uh, a real quick intro into how you can really study the Word tonight. So if you're up for that, great. If not, pray that God would change your heart. Most of you have a Bible, something similar to this. This is an NIV. Probably the majority of you in the room have an NIV or a message Bible or something that's an easy read. The great thing about a Bible like this is that it is an easy read, and most of you have one, seldomly use it, but if you do, you take it to church or whatever, probably that's where you predominantly use it, is taking it to church or whatever, and when we read Scripture out loud or whatever. Or if you're at home and you do a quiet time, you read a verse or two or whatever out of this. This is a great place to start for just reading, okay? But if you really want to get serious about studying the Word, I'm going to encourage you, and this will blow your parents' mind, if you would go home and say, Mom and Dad, I want a study Bible. That might just blow your parents' mind. 
hey, would you buy me a study Bible? Uh, and maybe your parents would be like, well, why do you need another Bible? We got you one. You know, the church gave you one when you were in second grade or whatever. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, but that was not a study Bible. This is a study Bible. Um, and so the question is not how do I read the Bible. The question is how do I study the Word? If you want to be serious about studying the Word, I would go out and purchase a good study Bible. It's a great place to start. It's not the end, but it's a great place to start. This right here is a life application study Bible. Okay? I prefer prefer this one. It's, it's pretty good. Um, one of the reasons I, su I suggest going out and getting a study Bible is because it has tons of study helps. Many of you have Bibles that have helps. You just don't realize they have helps. A great place to start is in the back. In the back of the Bible after Revelation, there's going to be word, words that are listed back there. And so, for example, if you look up the word, there you go. If you look up the word, um, I don't know, naked. It probably won't be in the back, but let's just say for the sake of argument, naked. Uh, then many Bibles will have words back there like worry or anger or whatever, and it will give you some verses to go look up that go along with that word. A study Bible goes deeper than that, though. Life Application Study Bible. It's a great Bible because what happens is at the beginning of every book, it has tons of study helps, I mean, ways to read through the Word in a year and all this kind of stuff. But at the beginning of every book, it's going to have some of the historical context. It's going to tell you who the author of the book was. It's going to tell you what date it was talking about or written in. It's going to tell you kind of the historical and cultural surroundings for which it was written in. Okay? Anytime you really want to study the Word, you, we're going to get real intense here. Uh, seminary guys like to call it hermeneutics, which is a stupid word to me because nobody knows what that means. Uh, it's just... Guys who pay to go to seminary want to be able to use a vocabulary that makes them sound smarter than you. They want to sound like they're different than you because they paid for a seminary degree. All hermeneutics is is really understanding what the word really says. Okay? In order to understand what the word says, you have to understand what it meant when it was originally written. You follow me? So, for example, in Corinthians, when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, you have to understand who he was writing to because the word will not mean something that it never meant originally, okay? In other words, Paul, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's got them on his mind as he's writing. So you have to understand culturally what's going on in Corinth. You have to understand historically what's going on. You have to understand not only the frame of mind of the author, but the frame of mind of the audience and how they're going to interpret the author. He's going to try to write in such a way that is very clear, excuse me, clear and distinct for them to understand so that when they read it and interpret it, they interpret it contextually where they're at. For us to understand what it means, we have to understand what it originally meant. And so a good study Bible is going to have an introduction before every book that tells you kind of historically and culturally what's going on. Okay? You with me so far? That's great stuff to know. Okay? Then a good study Bible at the bottom of each page is going to have notes. Okay? It's going to take each verse and it's going to have commentary on each verse. So I don't know if you can see from there, but about the bottom half of each page is notes. So it takes each verse and it separates them out and it tells you kind of what it's talking about, what it's going on. Now, let me make a distinction here. A study Bible is a great place to start, but it's not the end all or with all. In other words, 
the top portion of your study Bible, the Bible itself, is Holy Spirit inspired. It is God breathed. It is God's word to mankind. Commentary on the Bible is not. Commentary is a bunch of guys that went to seminary that have spent years upon years studying the word. Commentary is, is very useful and very helpful and often is dead on, but not always. And so if you really want to get serious about studying the word, like, like me, you know, you're going to seminary or whatever, you've been to seminary, you're going to have three or four study Bibles from different commentators. If you're real intense like me, you're going to make sure that those Bibles, the commentary in those Bibles are written by guys that have different theological stances, meaning they approach theology in a different way. Y'all don't want to go that deep. But I do. I've got several different study Bibles, and I'll pull them all out, and I'll see what the commentary for each, each one is. And then if you really want to go intense, you can go to a library, go to our church library. There are commentaries written upstairs in the church library on every book, every chapter, and you can pull those out. So rather than having to spend 100 hours studying a single chapter of James, you can go and you can read from people who have, who've done their entire doctoral dissertation on that chapter. Does that make sense? People who've walked where the book was written. People who've walked where the book was, for where the audience lived, where the book was, or the letter was written for. People who've done their research. You with me? That's too intense for y'all right now. Try to do that and you'll, uh, you'll get bogged down. But a good study Bible is a great start, okay? I want to give you a couple more helps, and these will be a little easier. You know, if you, after you get a good study Bible, the great place to go is BibleGateway.com. Okay? Mike's going to type that in. BibleGateway.com. Add it to your favorites. It should be bookmarked on your Internet. If you've got an iPhone, they've got an app. Okay? BibleGateway.com. It's an app, a free app, and you can download that. If you look to the left-hand corner, there's a, in three yellow top phrases, it says Passage Lookup. Keyword search or topical index, okay? This is a great place to start. So, for example, we want to look up, uh, go hit keyword search. I said earlier we're going to study the word naked in the Bible, so we're going to just type in naked. Actually, down here, inner word or phrase. No, right there. Type in naked. Click enter. It's going to pull up everywhere in the Bible that the word naked is used. Everywhere in the Bible. Now, why would that be important? Do what? Yeah, you can look at the original text, but why would it be important to know where in the Bible this word is used? Okay, one, so you can find the specific passage you're looking for. Okay. Why would there be another reason to know where everywhere else in the Bible it's used? Anna. Correct. You can read a context, okay? Listen, the word, anytime you're doing the word, we not only need to know who the original audience is and who the original audio, author was and what they were writing, so that we need to know what it was saying to the original audience, but two, anytime we study the word, we need to study it word within the context of the verse, the verse within the context of the chapter, the chapter within the context of the book, the book within the context of the entire testament it's in, and the testament in the context of the whole Bible. Okay? Why? Why would that be important? 
Anybody? Do what? No, no, you were right on the right track. Yeah, you want to get the big picture. You want to make sure it fits in the big picture too. In other words, if I were going to do a word study on naked and I found a passage, uh, it doesn't matter which one, but let's just say I found a passage... uh, Let's start with Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt, so ash- they felt no shame. If I took that verse alone, I could come up with a whole theology and doctrine that said that we should be naked in the church. If we are in right standing with the Lord, we should be able to come to worship Him naked with no shame. Right? Right. The problem with that is this that I'm taking that verse out of the context in which it's written. And so I need to look at it in the context in the whole chapter, in the whole book, and in the whole Testament. And we'll understand, looking at that, if you jumped over to like Corinthians 14, you would understand that in corporate worship, it's probably inappropriate to come in naked. Okay? Uh, so you need to understand. You can't, when you're doing study of the Word, you gotta, you got to make see the small picture You want to do word studies, but you also want to make sure that it's fitting within the big picture. So if your theology on a verse contradicts with the big picture that it fits in in the whole Bible, then you need to go back to your study of the verse, and you need to look at it again because you're wrong, because the Bible will not contradict itself. You with me? Bueno? So I've said this before, but a great example of that is teenagers who who will... take the verse that they should not be unequally yoked and they will that knowing that they shouldn't date a non-believer they'll take another verse that says it's God's will that none should perish or like first Peter says that we should always be ready to give a reason or hope a reason for the hope that we have and they'll say something to the effect of well or quote Hosea you know God told Hosea to go marry a prostitute well God has called me to lead this guy or girl to the Lord by dating them I'm the only Christian they know. See, and they're, so they're, they're taking one verse or a couple of verses out of context and coming up with a theology that is not written in the Bible. Does it make sense? So the Bible doesn't come to justify our thoughts or our belief system. When we study the Bible, we need to go see what it's saying, regardless of our belief system, and then change our belief system to match the word. Okay. So, naked, let's go down. If you scroll down uh, to Mark, actually, if you go down to the bottom, you probably have to go over a couple pages. Yeah, click on number two or next. Mark, let's go back up to Mark. 1452, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. That's an interesting verse. It's the only one of the four Gospels that mentions this. By the way, Matthew, Luke, and John don't mention this incident. If you read it in the chapter, we've talked about this before, students, so I'm using this verse because you all can kind of follow me. Mark 14.52. So when Jesus is in the garden and the guards came to get Jesus, there's this one guy, it doesn't name him, that was dressed in linen clothing, and, uh, and as they seized Jesus, he ran off naked. Interesting. So let's do this. Let's take Mark 14.52. Let's go to blueletterbible.org, second website you ought to put into your favorites, okay? 
There you go, on the bottom. All right, type in Mark 14, 52. Now, if you notice right where he typed that, beside that, there was a little thing that said KGV. Okay, you can switch to any version of the Bible you want. But here it is. It's going to take apart the chapter for you. So, and there, scroll up just a little bit. And we'll, uh, not that much. Right about there. Uh, so you can see the verse and you can see it in its context of the chapter around it. Okay. So 1451 says, And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his, neck, or cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Well, that's interesting. What in the world is this talking about? So if we go over here beside Mark 14, 52, there's all these little blue squares. Okay, there's treasury of scripture knowledge. C is going to be your concordance in Hebrew and Greek. L will be a list of audio study tools or commentaries, like the study Bible. Images and or maps. Versions or translations. So if you clicked on V or whatever, you could see it in every version or translation of the Bible. D, dictionary aids. Let's click on V first. Okay, there's all your versions of the Bible. So the King James says, uh, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. The New Living Translation said they tore off his clothes, but he escaped and ran away naked. The NIV said he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The New American Standard Bible down here says, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. See, so it's very different. You with me? All right, let's go back or go up to the top there and hit C up in the middle right there. Okay, this is going to take your verse and it's going to break it down as it is in the original language. If it's in the Old Testament, it'll break it down in the Hebrew being in the New Testament, it'll break it down in the Greek or the Aramaic, okay? And it breaks it down. And so you'll see how it is in English, and you'll see the Greek words on the right that, that correspond to the one or several words in English, okay? So let's, let's look at um, linen cloth. Let's go over there, and we're going to click on the numbers between the two. Go down one and go to these numbers in the middle there, right there. Click on that. Sindon is the, is the Greek word. Okay, it's going to tell you it's a it's a noun, and it's going to tell you exactly what it what what it means. Okay, a linen cloth, especially which was made of fine and costly, in which the bodies of the dead were wrapped. Interestingly, the thing made of fine cloth, a light and loose garment worn at night over a naked body. So it'd be fair to assume that this guy isn't dead because he ran. Okay. So we know we're not talking about the, the, the cloth that they wrap the dead people in. More so, it is probably like a little nightshirt that a guy would wear, something they'd wear to sleep in. So probably this guy, some theologians think it was Mark. From what I see, I tend to disagree. Mark's not probably writing about himself. Probably what happened is in all the commotion with the Roman guards coming or whatever, some Jewish man was sleeping, heard the commotion, comes out of his slumber, goes down to check out and see what's going on. And in the midst, as they seize Jesus, they mistake this guy for one of his disciples, and they grab him too, right? If you, uh, if you go down just a little bit more, scroll down. It, it, it keeps scrolling. It will also give you every other verse in the Bible 
the difference between this and Bible Gateway, this is important. The difference between Blue Letter Bible and, and Bible Gateway is once you've gone into the Greek word, it will give you everywhere in the Bible that that Greek word is used. Does that make sense? Bible Gateway will show you everywhere in the Bible that English word is used. This will show you everywhere in the Bible where that specific Greek word is used. That's important for us because then we can not only look at the situation, but we can look at how the authors uh, of the Bible use that same Greek terminology in other instances. Does it make sense? Which is very, very uh, good one. Uh, a controversial topic that we were talking about last week, students, was uh, tongues. And one of the verses we quoted was out of Romans where, they, where the Bible says that, um, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we cannot even utter. And that word utter is our groanings is the word they use there specifically is only used in two places in the whole Bible. Um, so it, it just gives you incredible insight and you can understand more what they're saying. Okay. Now we're not going to spend the time tonight to do it. But if you go through that whole verse and you pick it apart word for word, you'll see that this isn't just one of the disciples that just lost his noggin when the Roman guards grabbed him and said, oh my gosh, I'm going to run around naked. Although there are some churches that would probably preach that. Very obscure, but I'm sure they're out there. Um, no, this is probably wasn't even one of the disciples. It was just one of the guys that was kind of checking out what was going on, got grabbed. And as they were seizing the disciples and Jesus, some Roman soldiers grabbed him because he happened to be in the garden. Maybe he wasn't there watching. Maybe he was just strolling through the garden at night. Maybe it was a cool night. Who knows? But he was in his little nighty pajamas, and as they grabbed him, he was so afraid that he took off running, and they kept his pajamas, and he was so afraid for his life that he just kept running, even though he's in the nude. See? Just understanding that it wasn't just a linen cloth, that it was something they wore at night, makes that verse become a whole bigger picture. Gives us insight. Follow me? These are two great, webs uh, great websites that you can use at your disposal. So what I like to do when I'm reading a passage is I'll go in and I'll read the word first without ever pulling out a commentary or anything. You always want to start with the word. Anytime I'm studying the word, the first thing I do is pray, God, help me come to your word with a clearness of mind. Let my preconceived ideas, my emotions, my, notion, my, my notions, my theology, let me leave it at the door. Clear my mind that I can see your word and understand it. Make it alive to me. Let your Holy Spirit inspire me the truth of your word. And then I'll come in and I'll read the portion of the word. And then after I've read the word, then I will go and I will look at the context it's in. I'll look at who was writing it, who he was writing to, historically what was going on. Then I'll break it down and I'll say, okay, what exactly were they saying? And I'll take the verses and I'll break them apart. I'll look in the original language. Because often in our Bibles, in the, in the English language, we lose some of the meaning. And then I will break it down word for word and really seek to understand what the meaning of that verse is for my life. This might sound tedious to some, but the reality of it is, is when we study the word, it becomes alive. Just like that verse. It's not just a guy that ran away naked. It's a guy that was in his pajamas at night. Imagine strolling in your pajamas down to the park and somebody, cops show up and they start like grabbing these guys and one of them breaks out and busts a cap in the guy's ear and it just like, 
yeah. Talk about reality TV. It helps you give, give you insight into what's really going on. And as the Word says, it makes it come alive. Does that make sense? It's important tools for you. Because as people challenge your faith, as denominations, when you go off to school and you start visiting churches and stuff comes up and you're like, I don't know about that. Don't ever feel guilty about going, I don't know about that. That's the way you should feel about everything. And then you should be able to go to the Word. And I love it that some of y'all are going, man, this, is, this went on with one of my friends. What do you think? And I, I love it that you guys are beginning to take an interest in not wanting to just read the Word because the, Bible, because the church has told you you need to have a quiet time or the church has told you you need to memorize Scripture. I love it that y'all are wanting to study the Word because you want to have general ownership and knowledge of what the Word says. Because when that happens in your life, then you begin to study the Word then you will retain it. And then the word will become alive and active to you. And then it will flow through you and it will become your vocabulary. It will become the air you breathe and that sort of thing in the way you live your life. That's the goal. Especially for you in a society that is ever wandering farther and farther away from this and the sense of morality and things that this gives us. It's incredibly important for you to know. My goal in life is that when you graduate, you go on to become amazing young men and women of God. My goal in life is that when you get married, the people standing next to you are our spiritual giants, people that are living their life out for the Lord, that they are standing as a testament to you, as witnesses that God has called you to the man or woman that you're going to marry. My goal in life is that when you join churches as parents and young adults, that you don't just attend on Sundays, but that you become the teachers, that you become the ones who are, are giving and going and doing. My goal in life is that when you come to the end of your life and, and they have a memorial service for you, that it is full, the room is full of people whose lives are touched because God lived through you, because you had ownership of the Word of God. So, any questions? Great. Well, those of you who want to, go study the Word. It will never fail you. All right. Y'all go back to school tomorrow. Somebody already went back. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all have fun with that. We will see you Wednesday. Thanks for coming, y'all.